Hello, and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security engineering and related topics. I'm your host, Sean Faulkner, and today I'm joined by Rosh Saha, head of engineering at Skyflow, and we'll be talking about what it takes to build your own data privacy solution. Rosh welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, I'll actually be seeing you in person very soon uh, in India, so this is a little warm-up session in it for the week we're about to spend together. But uh, for the benefit of the audience, let's uh, have you start with an introduction. Who are you? What do you do? What's your sort of work history? And how did you end up where you are today? Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in India. I did my undergrads here. I actually have an undergrads in mining engineering. And then I have a PhD in aerospace. So I don't know how that happened. But, uh, but my PhD was in robotics, which is to do with like simultaneous localization and mapping. Uh, the truth is that I have been coding since somewhere in middle school and I have always enjoyed that and it made sense to me. And uh, I have always built platforms in my real life and a lot of performance engineering. Um, I did work for Lyft self-driving, which was fun, which was related to my PhD. I think it is one of the coolest projects I've worked on. And I also spent a number of years at Microsoft building various uh, parts of the windows or Bing ads. Uh, how I landed up here. So I always, uh, nobody told me when I was young that I should start with a startup, but I uh, probably started with the biggest company you can think about, Microsoft. And I always wanted to uh, do a startup, work for a startup, but more so uh, I loved the people. I, the, the people, I trusted the people whom I started the company with. And uh, this really unsure. And then on the other side, uh, the problem made sense. Everybody had a issue with uh, data privacy. Everybody was paying a lot of money. It made business sense and engineering sense at the same time. So it was uh, an easy choice. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So the it sounds like you you always had the desire to do a startup, and that's what you know led you to co-founding uh, Skyflow. I should have actually uh, add that into your introduction besides just your your title, but. You know, this background you, you had from doing a PhD in aerospace and then working on self-driving cars at Lyft, has any of those kind of uh, skills been transferable to the work that you're now doing in the data privacy space? Uh, yes, I think one of the top things is performance. So in self-driving performance was critical. It was, we were trying to build real-time systems. Uh, in the Real-time means very different outside of robotics. So we are still dealing with real-time data, but <laughs> it's just not six milli uh, millisecond for everything, for an interrupt. Uh, that's the biggest one. Uh, secondly, um, self-driving car can impact life, right? So you have to be correct. And if you transfer, translate that to security, anywhere you are incorrect is a bug. Uh, it can, the worst case being a security bug. So I think those two aspects are very important, which uh, I have done in, uh, I have experienced in both robotics and some of my PhD work before. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah the, the, there's a very high cost to being wrong when it comes to something like self-driving car, uh, robotics, and now, you know, in the privacy and security space where people are, you know, essentially trusting that the platform they're buying into is doing the job that as advertised essentially, right? All right, so we're going to be talking about, you know, kind of what it takes to actually build your own data privacy solution in terms of 
you know, engineering costs, the, the components to think through, maybe the maintenance costs. And let's say that, you know, I told you I was starting a new company, let's say in like the, the business to consumer space. So I'm gonna have things like account data, user data to pay for transactions. Internally, I'll have teams from like marketing, sales, customer support, touching all this data. And, and I tell you, I'm gonna engineer my own solution for protection and governance of the data. What would your response be to, uh, to me as my friend? I would say good luck with it. So no, I'm just joking, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's only half a joke. So it's, it takes a whole lot to build the solution, right? And uh, actually let me take a step back. Uh, to build a proper data privacy solution, I believe isolation is critical. And if you are building it yourself, you will never attain full isolation. So that's one thing is very hard to achieve when you're building it yourself. Uh, other than that, I'll say that there are just so many aspects to it, right? Uh, why would you take that uh, opportunity cost? Like is building a, like something like a data privacy vault your core, uh, core business? If it is not, it doesn't make sense to invest in like building infrastructure for it, building um, encryption, tokenization, and uh, I think a core um, habit of most engineers, uh, and I know you are an engineer, so is that we only look at the core problem, which most of the time you can figure it out in a couple of weeks or uh, over several weeks, but we, are, we overlook the 99% of the work that actually has to go into building a product. So whatever you have in mind, I would just multiply that by 100 to have an approximate cost. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that it's going to be very difficult to achieve full isolation and that isolation is uh, like a key characteristic of a great sort of uh, you know, data privacy security solution. So why, why is isolation so important? So, so if you think about uh, your valuables and say your regular items, you never put them together, right? So what I uh, normally... Uh, talk about is uh, your you never put your cheese and diamond together right it, there is no way you can manage who has access you cannot manage how to use it it's just too different and the same thing happens with uh, sensitive data and non-sensitive data the usage patterns are different the use cases are different and the access is of course very very different so if you are building anything in-house engineers will find a backdoor. So unless the data is actually, uh, or the system is managed by somebody else, full isolation in reality is impossible, I would say. Uh, I have never seen that happen. I have never worked in a place where there is zero backdoor, so. I see, so essentially, even if you're trying to achieve something like isolation, if you're building it yourself, it's very likely that it's not actually truly isolated. Someone has access to that information. Yes. And the, for expediency, it makes sense for a company to just say, or one uh, dev manager making a deal with another dev manager, hey, give me access for the next two months and I'm going to remove it. We are going to do it the right way afterwards, but that never happens as we all know. Right, yeah. There's always going to be a propensity to you know, cut corners when timelines are, 
are, are you know people are under pressure to hit certain targets and so forth then it's very easy to be like well well you know we can we'll we'll cut a few corners here we'll come back and fix it and then inevitably what ends up happening is that tech debt never ends up being paid uh until you are in uh the news for uh, some sort of uh, data breach or compliance issue essentially because at the end of the day it, these are all software layers right there is uh, always a way to cross these logical boundaries. So unless you are isolated uh, in terms of hardware or in terms of organization or in terms of completely different cloud providers, so there has to be a layer of isolation which you cannot choose to violate. Right. So let's start with something maybe a little bit more constrained than the example I was talking about where <clears throat> there were I'm building out you know, some sort of B2C company. There's a lot of types of data. Let's perhaps focus on something like just credit card data. So this is something that you know, a lot of people who've built any kind of system have ever dealt with some form of credit card data, whether it's through leveraging a third-party payment processor or building something out themselves. But if I was to build this myself in terms of handling credit card data, what do I need from an infrastructure standpoint to securely store, handle, and, and process that credit card data? So I think infrastructure is the starting point. So uh, you will start with, say, uh, network security. How do you set up your VPC property? You will start with how do you, uh, what kind of a cluster you set up. Um, you will have to do pen testing around it. You will have to uh, follow all the best practices around the IAM policies, uh, all the AWS uh, uh, settings, so to say, each piece of uh, software that you deploy, they will have to follow all the best practices, like in the Terraform scripts, the Helm scripts, everything has to get verified uh, and checked and also upgraded every time that there is a change. So these are only the starting points in terms of infrastructure, right? And you have to make sure that you are using all the uh, certificates the right way. Uh, you are using a valid certificate provider. Uh, you are um, like uh, doing rotations at the right period. Um, so that's just how the infrastructure starts, but that doesn't end there. So as soon as you think about encryption, you have to think about encryption keys. How do you uh, protect your keys? Uh, how do you protect your secrets? How do you rotate them? Everybody forgets about key rotation. So that's, then you are kind of done with encryption, but then you think about tokenization. What solutions do you use for tokenization? It's very easy to say something is a random token, but have bugs in it where it turns out that it is not that random actually. And when you have enough data, you can actually predict the next token that you can generate. So there is all these kind, now that, uh, now then you'll have to uh, hire a encryption expert and then, uh, so, and we are just starting to scratch the surface. I'm not sure how, how much you want to know that how many things you'll have to uh, kind of think about. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of these things around, uh, you know, making sure the servers stay up to date, making sure that you're using the right types of encryption algorithms and you're also you know, doing the hard work of rotating the keys properly. Are these required from a PCI DSS standpoint? So, some of them are. I think they have uh, some uh, standards around you cannot use deprecated versions. If you, there is a security uh, issue, then you have to uh, address it within, say, sometimes it's a P0, it's uh, 
like a few days if it is a p1 p2 then you have like varying to some weeks and months but uh, that's not enough right when you are dealing with sensitive data you have to be on top of the game pci compliance is kind of the lowest uh, common denominator which everybody is able to satisfy that doesn't mean it's the highest standard what uh, we should expect out of a data uh, privacy software mm -hmm. yeah and then you know we were talking uh strictly sort of from an infrastructure cost standpoint like what to take to stand up the the basic uh components to securely storing handling credit card data but what other types of costs would i need to think through you know going fast forwarding to beyond just standing up the the infrastructure that i need to do this um, so after you, uh, then you have to create the entire uh, software cluster, right? So once you have figured out uh, uh, secure infrastructure, then you start building like encryption and tokenization because uh, you want it to get handled the right way. You cannot leave uh, plain text data around. Uh, then you have to start thinking about, hey, how do you connect to like your third party providers, right? So uh, you have to send plain text data to them or uh, can you use tokens um, then so that's uh, do you use a proxy do you use what kind of uh, guarantees that a proxy give you you also have to think about uh, like uh, runtime what kind of protections can you build around your runtime so we do certain things uh, where you can run uh, logic and operations on encrypted data so is that something that is important for uh, that use case for uh, credit cards i know uh, when you do credit cards maybe not on day one because you are not doing a lot of operations but in day two you might be doing saving some kind of uh, uh, amount of money in the account or you might have some transactional uh, data where you want to do some sum and average of it. Um, so yeah, things keep uh, getting added on. And then key management is a very involved uh, subject. It's very easy to uh, do small errors. Like you cannot cache anything. So uh, if you keep the key in the cache, then it's as good as like plain text. In terms of, um, you know, one of the things you touched on was the idea that especially with credit card data, you're probably going to have to pass that to a third party at some point, whether that's a payment service provider, or maybe you're connecting directly to the card network, but you're going to presumably have to pass that credit card data in plain, I mean, encrypted in transit, but you're going to have to decrypt it on your end and then pass it over. So what are the kind of the requirements around the, um, this, like where that happens essentially? So somewhere within whatever your solution is for handling credit cards, you're gonna to have to decrypt it at some point and pass it over to the third party. From a security perspective, like what are the requirements to actually do that in a safe way? So um, in terms of requirement, I think uh, first, as you mentioned, it should be encrypted in transit. Uh, there are uh, different providers who have slightly different uh, requirements or implementations on uh, how you connect with them. So they, some people uh, implement encryption of data bits also. There are different certifications they use, uh, different kind of certificates uh, you have to provide. Then there are different kinds of handshakes that happen uh, that you have to implement. 
and also I think it will be interesting to touch upon the PCI compliance uh, aspect of it if you are dealing with credit card data. So a very interesting point is if you never see plain text credit card data, you uh, don't really need to invest time in PCI compliance. It becomes really simple. So the moment you are uh, reading and uh, handling plain text credit card data, you will have to start thinking about PCI compliance and which is not a cheap uh, thing to do. It turns out it takes a lot of time and effort and uh, money to get it done. Hey there, Sean, host of Partially Redacted. You probably guessed that since at this point in the interview, you probably recognize my voice. I've been told for years that I have a face for podcasting, but no one has mentioned whether I have a voice for podcasting, so sorry about that. Hopefully, the awesome guest makes up for it. Anyway, if you're enjoying this episode, please support the show by subscribing and telling your friends. You can also join the Partially Redacted community at skyflow.com slash community. Okay, that's enough for me. Back to the show. So, you know, moving beyond credit card data, presumably if you're if you're storing credit card data, you probably have, you know, additional user information that you might be storing about the customers or the users of your of your product. What are the types of, you know, features and technologies that I need to build to meet maybe existing privacy requirements or reduce the risk that I end up in the news for data breach when I start to extend this even beyond the, the handling of credit cards? So, yeah, great question. So I think um, from a compliance point of view, the requirements are uh, kind of what we talked about. It's not that much. But uh, if you realize that uh, most of the data breaches have happened to company, companies who are compliant, they were not out of compliance but they still got uh, hacked and breached and um, kind of incurred a lot of uh, customer data loss. So one of the um, core principles that we follow at Skyflow is uh, zero trust principle. So I think that's one of the most powerful tools to avoid uh, any kind of misuse of data. So if you take the case of say, Equifax, where you just had uh, somebody with access come into the system and take a data dump of everything. If that person did not really have access to the data, then uh, nothing would have happened, right? But since uh, the database is kind of open and everybody, ha like once you're into the system, you have full access to the data, it, uh, there was no zero trust principle to say the least. So I think a lot of people are familiar with the concept of zero trust from like a like a you know security network standpoint. When it comes to data, what does zero trust really mean? When it comes to data, um, I think it means probably the same thing. So uh, every time there is a, you are jumping the uh, security boundaries, you have to verify and the identity, the authorization. So what it means is even when you're uh, dealing with data you're still dealing with a lot of services so today data is somewhere you don't really know exactly where the data is right it's somewhere in the cloud but then that uh, data is uh, surrounded with a bunch of services that actually helps you access the data that uh, deals with the data so as the data is passing uh, through the system at every point uh, we have to uh, 
trust but verify right so what that means is uh, the all your microservices all the entire fabric uh, of your deployment uh, has to know who is the actual identity who is trying to access the data at that point so that is what uh, zero trust in the data world means Right. Yeah, so essentially, you know the identity of the person, and every time they're trying to access inf any information, you're essentially, you're not trusting that that person has access, you're verifying that they have access to that information. Is that right? Yeah. All right, so you touched on a few different things in terms of the sort of core principles of, or of the types of things that you need to be thinking about to properly build a data privacy solution. You talked about, you know, essentially full isolation, uh, zero trust, as well as some of the requirements around, uh, th uh, you know, the infrastructure that you need to set up to uh, maintain, you know, network security, encryption, encryption key rotations, all this type of stuff. Now, what kind of engineering cost does it take to sort of build and maintain one of these? Like, how many how many people are we talking about, and how long? So, uh, it depends on. A lot of things, the exact number of people that will be needed. If, uh, but I can start by talking about like what all the things you will have to uh, do, right? Uh, so, and what kind of people are needed? So, you will need different uh, people with different skill sets. So, uh, so you will need somebody with a privacy mindset to be able to implement zero trust. You need a encryption expert to build uh, and maintain all the uh, encryption algorithms and tokenization algorithm. Uh, and then you will need uh, to have very, uh, so if you think about privacy, uh, it means that who can access the data in what form. So what is legal access of data, what is non, uh, what data access is not permitted to uh, what it means in software terms is that you have to have a very strong authentication and authorization model. And the authorization model becomes quite elaborate. So because it involves things like redacted text, masked uh, data, uh, sometimes plain text only when needed. Uh, you have to define what is the requirement for each role uh, who can access what kind of data. So if you add all of it, I think uh, it will depend on the number of features that is needed. Uh, the PCI use case is um, in that phase a little bit simpler, but uh, the normal engineering judgment says every feature uh, takes like um, three engineers for two, three months to get something to production and uh, the requirements keep growing and then you almost end up needing similar or a little bit less people to uh, maintain the concept. Um, if I had the simple answer is uh, like all the engineers that are in Skyflow will probably be needed at some point, but uh, for a specific use case, it might be a little bit lower, but not a whole lot lower. And I think that's the interesting part that if uh, if it is not the core business for anyone, like why rebuild it over and over again? Like why not reuse uh, where one company is focusing on all of this? And building a product. Yeah, I think you know that's a that's a good question. It's something that we've you know talked about uh, in the past on the show for uh, a few different things. Like, 
I think that there was a time, of course, when you know every company built authentication, and you know they did that over and over again. Like every engineer built like authentication like six times, and then companies like Auth Zero came along, and uh, now you know if you're building anything essentially, you know certainly enterprise grade, you're probably not building your own rolling your own authentication. You're using, you're leveraging one of these tools to offload that responsibility. Why do you think that companies tend to take on this data privacy security problem themselves? Maybe not for PCI. I think a lot of times companies are relying on, you know, third parties, uh, whether that's a payment service provider or something else, they kind of understand, okay, well, I don't want to deal with PCI compliance, I'll offload that. But for some of these other you know, data security privacy challenges just around the management of, of PII, it seems like a lot of companies are taking on that responsibility themselves and, and feeling like they can handle it using existing you know, database technologies and whatever else they have in their stack. So uh, I don't completely agree that they are doing uh, everything that is needed to tackle the privacy problem, first of all. I think uh, they are more looking at compliance and uh, almost uh, building whatever is barely needed to be in compliance. Uh, I think most companies are trying to do that. And even if we take a more purist approach that if we assume that yeah, companies are uh, going, uh, investing the right amount uh, is that is needed to satisfy or to properly protect data. Um, I think as developers and uh, especially it is mostly an engineering decision Right, it's an engineering problem. It's an engineering decision. So developers lo love building, right? So it's very hard for them to say that I want to pay for a piece of software. I think at the core that still remains a problem uh, where people and and they are smart engineers, right? So uh, technically speaking, they can build it. There is nothing uh, that will uh, with the right set of people with the right amount of time uh, they can always build it. But it is. Uh, just expensive. There is also another aspect, I think, that is uh, losing control. So it is, or uh, at least the feeling of losing control, because as soon as you are buying a piece of software and uh, saving the data in that system, you cannot go in and make arbitrary changes to the system. Actually, in the case of Skyflow, you cannot make any changes to the software. A lot of the parts are configurable that you can, of course, uh, tune it to your needs, but you cannot uh, go and make fundamental changes. I think engineers still are scared of what if I need this and uh, the provider is uh, does not agree. Or sometimes engineers don't like uh, opinions of a framework. They want to uh, do it their own way. So I think it's a mix of all of these things. And uh, it is just the cost. So that they are kind of overlooking. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you touched on something important there, which is, you know, if you have the right people and the right engineers, you can probably build anything. But does it make sense for you to build it? You know, you could presumably with the right team, you could build and recreate, I don't know, Salesforce. But does it make sense to roll your own, uh, you know, CRM for your business versus just going and buying Salesforce uh, out of the box or something like that? Like, I think it, it really comes down to, 
does it make sense for your company to to take on this challenge yourself versus like building whatever it is the the product is that you essentially founded the company to or whatever the problem is that you founded the company to solve yes so it doesn't make sense so actually there is one more reason uh, i am a car enthusiast and i have seen actually people build their own cars so but they end up causing uh, costing significantly more than if you would have bought the car the same car with the same specifications uh, or a car with the same specifications and i have myself uh, rebuilt part of my car but that is a hobby you we do that because it's interesting because that it's fun but uh, nobody will claim that it's the better use of time or money to do that mm -hmm. yeah and is there a danger with even if you decide that you want to do this yourself for whatever the reason is you don't want to give up control or you think that you know for your particular use case it's not overly complicated do you and do you see teams essentially running into an issue where they build a, a bespoke solution that then is not able to adapt to the changing requirements of either the privacy landscape or adapt to the changing requirements that the business might run into as it evolves and grows uh, I think it will be very hard for somebody to um, build a flexible system which will keep adapting, uh, which is able to adapt to all the needs, the privacy laws changes, the requirements changes, uh, and also since it is not the core value uh, for the other business, it will also, you will have a hard time finding the right people or you will not have the best people working on the project because that is not what is uh, a customer facing feature. Uh, so overall, I think it becomes really hard and especially if it is not the core value proposition, uh, software engineers also try to take shortcuts and mm, kind of get it done so that they can go back to customer facing features, which is uh, a terrible uh, place for privacy and security to do mm, happen properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In a prior show, we talked about a similar issue with uh, backups. You know, a lot of times historically, you're not putting your top people on the backup solution because presumably you might never need it. It's kind of a, you know, just in case. But of course, when you need it, you really want it to work. <laughs> but uh, a lot of times companies uh, burn themselves by not actually having a, a proper backup solution that allows them to uh, deal with the worst case and actually restore things uh, or even have a proper security around it because they kind of underestimated uh, the value of putting their best people on that. Um, and, and let's uh, take that use case a little bit further, right? So when people start with a backup, they think that, hey, how difficult can it be, right? I'll just take uh, the whole data, make a copy of it, uh, there are enough uh, cloud APIs that can be used to do the data sync and we are done. And then people realize, oh, if the data starts growing, then how do we put it in hot storage and cold storage? And how do we do a diff and not to do a whole copy of it? And they probably have not even thought about uh, restore for a long time um, before they actually had an issue or somebody uh, brought it up in a review that, hey, this part is not done. If you had to really restore it, it will take you um, X amount of time, which is not acceptable. So we don't even get the whole requirements if it is not the core business value. Right. Yeah. It's very easy to underestimate the complexity of it if it's not sort of the core business case and it's not necessarily customer facing. So when it comes to actually building out 
a data privacy solution, whether that's someone you know building it themselves or maybe it's, it is actually core to your business like at Skyflow. How do you go about actually testing and evaluating the effectiveness of it? Um, that's a um, interesting question. So there are some core principles that you should always uh, follow, which is to uh, make sure that you are writing correct software. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, it becomes only more and more important when you are dealing with privacy and security. Security. Uh, there are some uh, things that uh, have been established in the security uh, domain, which we have to follow, which is to not uh, be smart about encryption. So when there are standard algorithms, we have to use the standard algorithms. You cannot say that, hey, I'll make a small tweak and uh, like you will always end up with uh, at least one bug. So, <clears throat> and then when you're dealing with privacy, you have to, again, going back to zero trust, you have to implement it right. And you really have to focus on uh, what are the different ways data access can happen? And is there any way to go around the system? Is there any elevation of privileges that can happen? Is there any uh, way that uh, somebody can assume uh, another identity and access somebody else's data? Uh, so, so zero trust principles becomes uh, really important there. So beyond just the you know, testing and evaluating the effectiveness of, of a data privacy solution. If someone was building this themselves, or, or maybe we can even look at Skyflow, how do you remain up to date with all the evolving data privacy regulations and best practices that are going on? So uh, I think for Skyflow, it doesn't matter as much, or in terms of engineering, it doesn't matter as much because we we are building Skyflow with uh, first principles, right? We um, security and privacy. We are uh, doing that by design and not because some regulation said so. In other words, what does it it means is that we are much ahead of what the compliance requirements are. Compliance requirements are a small subset of what we are building. So, if the other way. If somebody is building um, kind of privacy solutions just to satisfy the compliance requirements, they will always be playing a catch-up game because every two years something more will become a required uh, feature or a requirement, and it becomes incredibly hard to modify a system to meet new privacy regulations or security requirements unless you design it uh, from ground up uh, it becomes ends up becoming a patch uh, patches uh, on top of patches and that is again not a good place for a privacy solution to be at right so essentially the gist is if, you know if you're building for compliance you're always going to be behind because the compliance is always going to be lagging behind really what is going on in the market in terms of uh, security. It's, it's a baseline, but it's not uh, it, the uh, sort of be all end all of, uh, of security if you're taking this seriously. So in terms of you know looking at Skyflow, 
how do you ensure that Skyflow is you know, resilient to cyber attacks and other security threats? So obviously we're not necessarily just doing the bare minimum around compliance, but the, the world of cyber attacks, ransomware attacks, all these types of things is constantly evolving as well. So how do we stay ahead of the game there? So um, the simple answer is listen to Daniel, right? So uh, Daniel is the head of security. So if you listen to him, then you are almost safe. So uh, that is true in many ways. Uh, we have a very uh, thorough security review process where each new feature, each change goes through that process. And it is vetted not only by Daniel, but also by the senior um, people on the, in the company that we are not missing out on anything and we are addressing all the threats that can originate. You have to follow all the security best practices that have been uh, uh, learned so far in the industry, which is to do like uh, pen testing at a regular in interval. Uh, you have to do all the patching, all the patches that come out uh, in time. You have to be very strong in monitoring and the defense mechanisms so that if there is an incident, then it doesn't uh, stay in the system long enough so that all the layers can be breached. So it's just a uh, uh, lot of layers, lot of different kinds of protection coming together to keep the uh, data safe. And would you say that to do this properly, it, it kind of has to be built in as part of the, the culture of the organization where, you know, it's not a single person's uh, responsibility, but it's essentially everybody's responsibility to be taking privacy and security seriously? Uh, absolutely. Right. So it is easy for us because uh, data privacy is kind of uh, in the name of the company, uh, not technically in the name, but that's the core tenant of what we are uh, solving for. But if the core tenant is not privacy or security, it's very hard to get that culture. And without the culture and without uh, that being a design principle, uh, again, it uh, becomes uh, really catchy and, uh, when it's an afterthought. And that catch up game never, never works out. Do you see that as something that might be changing in the next you know, three to five years with engineering organizations that they're going to be more sort of keenly aware of the how serious they have to take these things and that it shouldn't be an afterthought and it needs to be something that's more baked into the culture of the organization? Uh, I do think that uh, uh, privacy will become more and more important. There will be a lot of uh, engineers and organizations that are self-aware and they want to do the right thing. But at the same time, it almost will always clash the priorities uh, within the company because uh, unless, and that's why we uh, talk about the Skyflow architecture or the data privacy vault architecture, which is to say that once you remove the sensitive data from your, um, from your backend, your backend can uh, scale up, uh, can, uh, you can add a lot more value to your customers much more easily and uh, you can keep your focus there now if, if everybody has to keep their focus on exactly how the data is getting used it becomes uh, overhead 
and I think some people will do it. Actually, uh, some companies uh, have been doing it for a while, but that adds a lot of overhead to the entire process, and it means that you are adding a lot less uh, customer value than you can. Right. So essentially, if you're taking this seriously and you're, you're also taking on this challenge yourself using a variety of different tools and maybe something that you built yourself, it starts to become somewhat a barrier to innovation because that isn't necessarily your, your core business and you're not offloading that essentially to someone else. You're taking on that responsibility. So every time you build anything, you need to be thinking about, okay, well, you know, how is this data stored? How is it processed? How are we you know, making sure that the only the right people see it and so forth. So that that sort of cost just gets added onto every single feature that you build. And again, going back to the principle of isolation, uh, I think uh, anybody who wants to do it right will uh, implement isolation. Without isolation, it's almost uh, uh, impossible to uh, design it right or build it right. But also uh, isolation will be a very hard choice to make when you are building it internally because a lot of the stakeholders will not easily uh, agree to it because that means that more and more hurdles for them and more and more dependency on uh, this internal tool or internal mechanism that uh, that you're building mm -hmm. So as we start to wrap up, are there any sort of future data privacy or security technologies that you're particularly excited about? So I think uh, there are interesting technologies that are coming up. Uh, one of the most interesting thing is the secure enclave. Uh, AWS has its version, which is called AWS Nitro. It lets you uh, have isolation in the um, known environment, which is the EC2 kind of uh, that they have. That uh, does add some uh, good protection, but also um, it's kind of interesting that it is isolated, so it's protected, but uh, the way that they are providing the isolation it is basically by limiting what you can do. So it also means that uh, there will be a lot of things you cannot do and you have to either get around it and the moment you start opening up the system you start losing the value of uh, the secure entry so uh, there are other technologies uh, like uh, many different kinds of encryption i don't want to take specific names but which uh, where the performance is just not uh, up to the mark to be uh, usable in real life scenarios so uh, I do think that there will be other interesting technologies, but uh, I'm more interested in the uh, architectures that can actually solve the problems. So data privacy wall being one of them, uh, I, I would think that there might be other solutions which addresses uh, some other aspects of uh, data security or data privacy. Uh, but um, in terms of technology, uh, yeah, there are some I don't believe in, so there, not much point talking about that. Yeah, excellent. I think uh, I I do think nitro enclaves and the confidential computing or the the sort of work that's going on in that area is is really interesting. It 
It does address some problems, not necessarily all problems. And uh, for anybody that's interested in learning more about AWS Nitro Enclaves, we do have an episode uh, where we spoke to the, the principal lead of Nitro Enclaves from AWS. And I'll, I'll include that in the show notes for anybody that's interested. But Rashmik, I want to thank you so much for, for being here and for taking us through all your thoughts around what it takes to actually engineer your own uh, data privacy solution and what you should be thinking about as an organization and whether you want to take on that challenge. And if you do, you know, essentially what kind of uh, cost from an engineering perspective and maintenance cost that might be looking, look like if you are, are, are actually going to do that. And vice versa, if you don't want to do that, then you should definitely check out Skyflow and skyflow.com. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>